Medicare is complicated. Medicare can be confusing. Medicare is no fun to study. Will you know what decisions to make when Medicare time arrives for you? My name is Doug Jones, and I wrote a book to help you figure it all out. Medicare for the Lazy Man. It's on sale at Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Also, you can download and listen to my podcast, Medicare for the Lazy Man, wherever fine podcasts are given away free of charge. Medicare for the Lazy Man, simplest and easiest guide ever. Like 40 miles of bad road, it's the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. The Medicare podcast that challenges all other Medicare podcasts to a royal rumble. And now he might have joined Toastmasters if he weren't so bashful, Medicare expert Doug Jones. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. My Canadian nephew may have just told you that I am Doug Jones, your Medicare expert for today. If he didn't, he's remiss in his duties, and I've just uh, made sure that that knowledge has reached you. But uh, I'm so happy to have you joining us, and it's uh, one of these things where we have a bright sunny warm day in arizona and it puts us in the mood when i say us you i realize i'm using the third person way too much but i am in the mood to help people understand and feel confident about their upcoming encounter with medicare the whole thing revolves around either your 65th birthday or if not that then your desire to retire from your position at a company that provides you with health insurance at some older age Some people work into their 70s, and when they retire, they find themselves encountering Medicare much later than those who encounter it at their 65th birthday. But whatever, it's all the same. Medicare is waiting for you to become a fairly good coverage protection, uh, insurance protection for your medical expenses that may or may not come your way. And the way I help people feel confident about their encounter with Medicare is to encourage them to purchase my book and to read it kind of close to when the time comes so that all of a sudden the light shines on the um, the activities that they're going to be performing. And those activities are not really all that demanding. Medicare is a confusing morass of federal laws and regulations and rules and potential lifetime penalties and those kinds of things can be very scary. But if you were to read my book, I think you would be confident that you're not likely to run afoul of any of those regulations or lifetime penalties and that you would uh, probably feel pretty good about the whole thing, especially if you contact me to uh, help you acquire the needed insurance to round out your Medicare protection. So I would suggest that you go to barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com, type in the search window, Medicare for the Lazy Man 2023. That's the current edition as we record this. And you will find uh, several editions that you can choose from. You can borrow the or borrow you can buy the kindle version very inexpensively priced if you have a kindle reader you can purchase the 
audible version if you'd like to hear me do all the work of reading the hard words and turning the pages for you. You can purchase the paperback version for about $8 at Amazon, $9 at Barnes & Noble, but it has color illustrations at Barnes & Noble. And if you want a museum piece, if you want one that you can keep forever and ever, get the $22 hardcover version at Amazon, and you'll have uh, an item that will stand you in good stead for the rest of your days. As you are sitting on the uh, porch of the old folks' home in your rocking chair, you can read it to your fellow uh, old folks' home uh, patrons. (laughs) Is that the right word to use? In any event, You've got a lot of choices, and I hope you select one of them, and I hope it works well for you. I expect it will. And speaking of working well, I've got a um, podcast engineer who uh, works very well with me. His name is Randy Carson, and he is just anxious as all heck to join us today. Hello, Randy. How are things? I am anxious, and I'm doing well. Thanks, Doug. Where are you today? It seems as though every time I uh, talk to you, you are in a different, weird, foreign location. Well, actually, this is one of the outdoor luncheon areas to the new southern headquarters for Medicare for the Lazy Man. We certainly are in acquisition mode, aren't we? Uh, <laughs> some someday, I'd like to cash in, you know, on on my uh, labors. <laughs> and, this is in uh, South Car- This is in South Carolina. Oh, is it really? It looks like it'd be in in Europe someplace in Southern Europe. No, no, this is actually South Carolina. So I'm guessing uh, yeah, there's I, glass. I, there's glass in all those windows, then, huh? No, actually, those are. This is an outdoor atrium, so there, oh. I don't. Th- I, there's no glass. It's just open. Okay. Well, there's nobody there. So is it unpopular? Did we pick it up for a like a song? Yes, we did. Good. I, we absolutely did. And the reason it's uh, empty is because it's a. It's well back. Uh, it's it's past lunchtime here. Really? Okay. So. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, you know, they're, they should be setting up for the cocktail hour then, I would suppose. Well, there is that. They'll, they'll be here soon. Okay. I, that's well, what I'm waiting. That's what I'm waiting for, Doug. Well, if we're going to actually realize some revenue from this acquisition, then I don't mind. But it's it seems to me that we have a lot of real estate in various <laughs> uh, various uh, exotic places that I, uh, do. I have photographed you in, and I don't see a lot of return on these investments. So... I'm hoping well, it's that... co- it's it's come just we're just about there, Doug. We're just about there. Okay, I'll hang on a little bit more, but it sounds suspiciously like what your uncle dentists, <laughs> your your uncles <laughs> that were dentists used to tell you when you <laughs> were a kid, and they do some dental work with, without yeah, Novocaine. No, I'm not yeah, going to yeah. waste the Novocaine. You're almost done. You're almost finished. Yeah, yeah. You no need for that Novocaine. up. You picked that up, huh? <laughs> oh, I, I knew the bitterness in your voice the first time you ever told me about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I've got a couple of the things that I promised the audience that I would talk about. I don't know if you remember it, but in one of the previous uh, episodes, not too long ago, we were talking about Mighty Mouse, Nebraska. Really? <laughs> I remember the terms Mighty Mouse, and I remember Nebraska, but I don't remember them being used together. We we were talking about the fact that I'm an animal lover, and uh, we all know that. But we had the, one of our previous houses that we had back in Nebraska was on a golf course, and it was in there was many many different houses in construction around it. Okay, and it was constantly. This is probably very common. 
but there was constantly, it was stirring up all the rodents in the neighborhood. Oh boy, I know how that goes. So we had, we had glue, we were talking about glue traps. That's, that's how we originally oh, got into it. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So we had glue traps and we had all kinds of stuff, uh, trying to keep the mice out of our house. Um, and we, we were semi-successful, but one of the mice that I actually called, I nicknamed him Mighty Mouse. Okay. Be- because we had not only glue traps, but we had, you know, those little uh, triangle-shaped mouse poisons, you know, that you, you they have my, they have green pellets in them, and they're yeah. shaped like a pie slice. Okay. okay. No, they don't make those anymore. Apparently, those okay, well, green pellets were too, ex- uh, too effective. Well, that could be it. I used to, I, anything that's effective, you know, in terms of poison that you can't. They're going to take away from us. You just have to stand in your front. You you have to stand in your living room. I wish you would leave. Yes. You have to ask and don't use any binary language that might offend them. You must not offend them at all. You can't call them a mouse. So you can't, you can't call them it. But we still had those when this episode occurred and our uh one of our what was it i think it was our rodent guy he said don't now when they were selling these things back in the day people thought you were supposed to open them you know like uh-huh. the mouse would sure. didn't have fingers and thumbs so you know you had to open them he goes, no, no, them no, don't, don't 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 open them because if you put them around and they and mice will chew into them he said you'll know if somebody got at it yeah Okay. And I suppose so, the mice wouldn't want to smell human smell on it. They might run right, away then. Right. Right. Exactly. So okay. we took it as we took it for uh, you know, gospel that we needed to put these things around because we had Mighty Mouse in our house. And I kid now the reason I call him Mighty Mouse is he was the most bold, uncaring mouse I have ever seen in my life. We would be sitting in our kitchen and he would take an evening stroll across our kitchen floor and he would wave at us as we went past and margaret didn't like that well i don't blame her (laughs) now that i think about it tell (laughs) me tell me what transpired so actually my wife she's not quite as bad as standing up on a chair screaming but near nearly when there's a mouse involved okay so anyway we we started scattering out these little green pie shaped things and mighty mouse started getting into it so we go, oh, well, any day now, Mighty Mouse is going to be gone. Uh-huh. No, no, he wasn't gone. He just continued to stroll across our living room floor like he was drunk. Well, oh. it, it wasn't it wasn't killing him, wasn't wasn't doing any of that. But one day my daughter screamed like bloody murder upstairs. So I ran upstairs uh-huh. and Mighty Mighty Mouse was standing outside of her bedroom door, drunker than a skunk. And laying on his side. So I figured, well, certainly he's got to be dead now. Nope. He just gets up and he staggers on down the hall. So I ended up having to catch Mighty Mouse. Oh, good. With with a bowl, you know, a plastic bowl. I put yep. the bowl over Mighty Mouse and then I shoved a cardboard underneath the bowl. Sure. And I took Mighty Mouse outside. And as far as I know, Mighty Mouse is... I'm being a little facetious, but as far as I know, Mighty Mouse still lives, or there's an entire line of descendants of Mighty Mice in that neighborhood that are immune to mice poison. But he his behavior did change after he had it the poison. Did. So it, it either it either made him stronger 
or it made him drunker or something. I think it was drunker because he was was moving slower all the time. Oh, boy. Well, you know, I'd say that uh, the only good rodent in my life is a dead rodent, but that might offend rodents, so I probably won't say that. But, you can't uh, do that. You can't. The CDC I will know. not let us do that anymore. I know. Page 14 of that magnificent That's document, right. the CDC, has right. changed the way we have to talk about various mice and rodents and pests and so yes. forth. Yes, we do. Well, well, at least you solved the problem. It's too bad that you had to personally intervene. What the whole point of the poison was, the strychnine in the decon, was to make them so thirsty that they would do anything to get out of your house to find water, and then you wouldn't have to deal with the dead body. Well, maybe that's what he, he was. He was getting his drinks over at my liquor cabinet. Maybe that's why he was so drunk. <laughs> My father locked up his liquor cabinet, so I never really had an opportunity. Although what <laughs> happened with in my house was that they were it was a very sociable uh, bunch. And of course, we lived in Wayne, Illinois, and everybody was, uh, you know, everybody had four acres. So to have a party meant that people were coming from miles and miles around. And uh, I I was tasked with doing the garbage. And so the next day, I did learn firsthand what warm, flat beer tasted like. Because oh, yeah. I, I was on KP. Uh, and, uh, I, I thought to myself, boy, I don't know why adults drink this stuff, but as soon as I finish what's left in these uh, cans that, you know, have a, a little bit of backwash in them, I'm never drinking this stuff again. Well, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> well, I, I hate to admit it, but I, when I was on KP, I used to collect not only the warm flat beer, I used to collect up any sort of a drink they were having and I yeah. would put it in a beaker. Yep. Yep. I, I understand. I was there. I've done that. <laughs> So we anyway, should, we should I, probably I get to work here. Some, we should we should get to work here now that we've talked about Mighty Mouse Nebraska. Let's do that and I'm I'm glad that Mighty Mouse ceased to be a problem for you. So congratulations on your solution there. Um I thought I'd start out today with some correspondence from some clients. I have a hundreds of clients and some of them come up with kind of interesting questions that I think people in the audience may have some need for uh, answers. And so I've got a few here that have written me lately, and I thought I'd just throw them out there. I've got a, a client named Brad. Three years ago, Brad became my client because he went on Medicare and he needed a Medicare supplement and a drug plan. And so ever since that day that his supplement and his drug plan were uh, instituted, um, he's been apparently a happy candidate. I haven't heard much from him, but but uh, here he is uh, saying, hello, Doug. I have a question about the supplemental insurance. That means a Medicare supplement. My wife's mother, who is 86 years old, is on Medicare. She has never had a supplemental policy. She's never had a Medicare supplement. Is it worth it money-wise to get her fixed up with a policy now or not? And then he went on to say, I want to thank you for your help in getting me set up. It has worked out very, very well. Thank you very much. Signed, Brad. And uh, then he has a PS. I still enjoy listening to your podcasts. What a guy. And I hope he enjoys hearing about the the Mighty Mouse uh, episode that Randy went through. Um, Here's the deal. I told Brad uh, the following. I said, hi, Brad. Thanks for the good news. I'm always happy to hear that my work is being enjoyed. Your mother-in-law may never have need of additional insurance. However, if a lengthy, serious illness should strike, 
The financial cost would certainly add to the very unpleasant consequences. Therefore, I'm recommending that he consider getting a Medicare supplement. I don't know anything about your mother-in-law, but if she is a non-smoker and lives in Indiana, her monthly premium would be $63 for the same plan that you have. If she can answer all of the attached health questions, no, then she would qualify. So I sent him a copy of the page of the application that has about seven health history questions. And if she can answer them all, no, then she would be able to get a Medicare supplement plan. And I think that cost of $63 for a woman in her 80s is hugely reasonable. Part of that is because they live in Indiana, which is a state that's pretty friendly to insurance companies. So they don't have artificially high rates in order to deal with all the legalities. So I finally, I closed out by saying, if she wants to move ahead with this, I will be happy to help. Sincerely, DBJ. So I'm hoping to hear from Brad that his mother-in-law is going to uh, be interested in acquiring a Medicare supplement to cover the uh, the outrageous, the possibly outrageous medical costs that she may encounter. Of course, if she's like all of my male ancestors, she might just uh, drop dead on the on the floor or out in the yard or whatever and never have uh, a medical expense at all. We don't know how it's going to go, but I recommend that people buy insurance just in case. So the next um, item we have is from Suzanne, and she asks a very pithy question. How do I know? She's a new client, so she hasn't been on Medicare before. And she says, how do I know my doctor will take Medicare? How do I know if my doctor will take Medicare? Do I just call and ask if I can still see her while I'm on Medicare? Thanks. And I said to Suzanne, I think a better way to ask the question would be, does Dr. So-and-so accept Medicare assignment? You will be asking this of an office clerk. And I said, don't worry, something like 94% of all doctors in America take Medicare. So you should be okay. And then I said, let me know if I can help further. What I should do is elaborate a little bit on this question. People who have been working and been covered by a, a corporate plan through their company have often had networks of providers. And they're used to uh, going to a doctor that takes, let's say, Cigna or let's say uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield. And they're, they're used to going to doctors that are in the networks of those companies. Now, when they enter the world of Medicare they and with a Medicare supplement that I provide for them, they find themselves in a world that doesn't have any provider listings or directories. So what they do is uh, they have a hard time shaking that habit of trying to find a doctor that accepts their insurance. So they will call up, and I've had this happen over and over again, a new client of mine. I'll suggest a Medicare supplement from, let's say, United American Insurance, uh, a great, great company located in Texas. They don't have a high profile because they don't spend a lot of money on advertising. They have uh, the greatest record, track record of premium stability with their high deductible plans of any company I've ever seen. So when they have a uh, rare and tiny rate increase, nobody ever complains about it because, uh, you know, if you have to pay another dollar and a half a month this year, it's not a big imposition and the uh, insurance is still very, very attractively priced. So when a new client has insurance, a Medicare supplement plan that I've sold them from United American, they're not real familiar with the name. And so their first 
temptation is to go to their favorite doctor and say, do you take United American insurance? And typically they're talking to a clerk and the clerk is used to dealing with all these doctors and networks and all this other Obamacare type of insurance, faulty roll. And so if, if, uh, since United Netcare, uh, United American does not have any networks at all, they'll say, no, we don't have a network named United American. And so then my client comes to me and says, my doctor won't take your insurance that you sold me. What do I do now? So I have to say, client, please go back to the doctor's office, to that clerk, and phrase the question differently. Please say, I have Medicare and a Medicare supplement. Is the doctor going to be happy with that source of reimbursement when I come in and uh, have an appointment? And typically, the clients will do that, and they'll call me back. They'll say, okay, problem solved. The, uh, The clerk that I talked to did not understand that I was on Medicare and had a Medicare supplement. They thought I was on a Medicare Advantage plan with a network from a company they never heard of before. So they just, knee-jerk reaction was they said, nope. We don't take that insurance. So a word to the wise, if you have a Medicare supplement with regular original Medicare, you're going to find that any doctor that takes Medicare assignment is going to be your friend for life or your doctor. And finally, I have a question from a couple in New York who purchased Medicare supplements from me. And the question is, will we have to pay a copay when we visit our doctor's? And my answer to them is no payment will be required at the doctor's office. What the doctor does is send, well, the doctor's clerks, really, they send a notice to Medicare, uh, or the excuse me, they send an invoice to Medicare uh, and to your supplement. So eventually, they'll be paid a portion of the charges by Medicare. And they'll either be paid another portion of the charges by your Medicare supplement, or they'll be Uh, Those charges will be credited towards your eventual annual limit, after which the plan will start to pay 100%. And so then a piece of paper goes to the doctor saying, all righty, here's your money from Medicare. Here is uh, the unpaid amount because the client has, let's say, a high deductible Medicare supplement. And that might be $15, let's say. And so the doctor's office will then send a uh, bill to the patients for $15 for the unpaid portion of their uh, Medicare uh, doctor's visit. And then when they get that bill for $15, it'll say on the bill, we submitted this to Medicare and we submitted this to your supplement. And here is the $15 that was not reimbursed to us by Medicare or your supplement. So send us a check. And uh, so the client typically is very happy to send that $15 check when they realize they may have saved $100 that month by purchasing the high deductible plan G rather than the regular plan G, which costs so much more money. So that's how it works. You don't have to pay a copay or anything at the time of service when you go to the doctor's office, but you will get a bill months later. And my last line to uh, my clients here was, by the time you get this bill from your doctor, you may have actually forgotten that you were ever there. Mary and I have had times when we've looked at each other and gone, why are we getting a bill from this doctor? Oh, I vaguely remember. Gosh, it was the middle of last year when we, uh, or so-and-so went to visit 
and um, we incurred a, an office visit charge. Yes, yes, now I remember. That's why we have to pay this $18 that they're asking for now. So it's not a quick process, but it doesn't matter to you because, frankly, do you want to pay up that quickly or do you want to let the doctor hold the charge until Medicare has finished with it and until the supplement is finished with it? That seems like a very reasonable course of action. And I'm looking at the big old clock on the wall, and I see that we have actually come to the part of the program where the crickets have to be stifled so they don't make a lot of noise. Randy, have you done the stifling of the crickets today, or should I keep going? I have stifled the crickets, but you have permission to do anything you want to do. Well, let me let me uh, hit a an item here that is a little, uh, it's not not long, and I think maybe we can whip it out fairly quickly. It's about prescription drugs and how they can be a financial burden on seniors. It says, here are some tips to cut costs for prescription drugs. So this is from this savvy senior at the University of Oklahoma. It's a guy named Jim Miller who does a Medicare question and answer um, website, I guess it is, Savvy Senior. I don't like that word senior, but in this case, he's got the nice alliteration going. So the question is, how does Medicare cover, oh, wait, prescription drugs, tips to cut costs. And the first question is, how does Medicare cover preventive health services? And that's, <laughs> and then of course, the answer is about the cost of prescription drugs. So the savvy senior needs to do a little proofreading before he puts this stuff out on his website because his, he's a little confused. The high cost of prescription drugs is an ongoing problem that stings everybody, but it usually affects seniors more because they have greater need for medications because Medicare doesn't cover all their drug costs. Uh, so it'll be a few years before. Okay, the Inflation Reduction Act, which didn't reduce inflation at all, was signed into law last year. It'll help seniors save on their medications by negotiating lower drug prices and capping out-of-pocket spending at $2,000. This is incredibly stupid, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, nobody negotiates with the government. The government indicates what it's going to pay, and everybody else has to toe the line. And by putting a cap of out-of-pocket spending, $2,000, is going to cause other people to have to start paying for your drugs. And if that is the case, you're going to find that your source of medications is going to dry up. But let me continue with this article. It'll be a few years before the law is fully enacted. Uh, here are some different strategies in the meantime that can help reduce your drug costs so you can afford what you need. First step, talk to your doctor. Review your medications to find out if any of them can be stopped or reduced. If you're taking any brand name drugs, check to see if they're available in a cheaper generic form. Also, for any drugs you're taking long term, ask your doctor for a cheaper three- or six-month prescription versus one month, and find out if any of the pills you're taking can be cut in half. Pill splitting allows you to get two months' worth of medicine for the price of one. If you do this, you'll need to get a prescription for twice the dosage you need. The next hint is review your insurance carefully. Review your drug coverage during the open enrollment period, or what uh, is more correctly called AEP, the annual election period, which runs from October 15th to December 7th. What it should say here is call Doug 
to find out if the plan that you have now is going to be the best plan for you going forward. Because on October 15th, Doug is able to check with your prescriptions, your location, and your favorite pharmacies to see if your current plan is going to be a good deal for you in the following year, or if there's a better plan that's going to be cheaper for you. And the article goes on to say, make sure all your regular medications are covered in the plan's formulary. You don't have to do that when you have Doug teach you how to go on the government website and how you can do this yourself. Um, let's see, uh, your uh, current pharmacy, uh, they want to make sure your current pharmacy is in the plan's network and your plan covers additional medication coverage in the gap. That's a poorly worded sentence. Here's another hint they use, pay cash. Not using insurance for prescriptions seems counterintuitive, but in some cases it may save you money. For example, many chain pharmacies and big box stores like Walmart and Costco have their own prescription savings programs that may lower, may be lower than your insurance payment would be. Or you can use coupons like GoodRx.com or RxSaver.com that can save you up to 80% off the list price of generic and some brand name drugs in certain pharmacies. Another hint they have is shop online. You can also save regularly um, on regularly used medications by having them sent to you from a mail order pharmacy. That's what I always do. I like it when the uh, drugs show up in my mailbox rather than me having to go get them or send somebody to go get them. And plus mail order is sometimes inexpensive. Check with your health insurer or your regular pharmacy to see what it would uh, take to get you a better deal. Um, if not, check online pharmacies like costplusdrugs.com or honeybeehealth.com. With these, you may spend less in some cases than you might with insurance. And the next hint they have is buy from Canada. Because prescription drugs are often much cheaper north of the border, many Americans have chosen this option for years. While this is technically illegal in most states, the Food and Drug Administration generally does not stop people from doing it. If you want to explore this option, use PharmacyChecker.com, an online tool that will help you identify reputable Canadian and international online pharmacies. Finally, it says get more help. If your income is limited, you also may be able to get help through Medicare's Extra Help program. It's like, um, uh, you know, the um, uh, state uh, Medicaid program is for medical insurance. The Extra Help program is uh, basically for people that have very low income and need, frankly, extra help. So those are some hints about how you might save some money with your uh, prescription medication needs. And now I know for a fact that the uh, crickets have probably died of old age. So I think we I should flatten. I flattened them out on my office floor. Normally that would be a good idea, but what happens next episode <laughs> when we need them to tell us when to stop talking, what's going to happen? Always, now? There's always more crickets. Oh, okay, good. You probably have a whole collection there, huh? I, I do have. So anyway, we need to, uh, you know, land the plane, bring the bus into the station because we are out of time. The 75 cent bell has rung. But there's one thing I just wanted to mention as a possible future item for Doug to think about. I was watching YouTube last night <clears throat> and uh, something caught my attention. There was somebody out there. I forget whose name 
was doing a YouTube on the uh, kind of a cost comparison. You know, I didn't listen to it. I just looked at the title, Plan G versus Plan N. Uh-huh. And, and, as, and as a proud owner of Plan N, because I didn't yes, know you, you before, didn't know this anything different before I met you, I thought maybe there was other people in the world that were wondering this. So I just thought I'd throw, throw that out there that you could maybe talk about that at some point in the future. Well, I'd be happy to do that. I'll be very happy. And let's do that in the next uh, episode, shall we? Okay, cool. Well, I definitely need to close the station now. So anyway, one of the things I always like to do before we sign off is make sure you are aware of Doug's email address, dbj at mlmmailbag.com. You can write him day or night. He's always there waiting. Trust me, it's true. He is licensed nationwide to help you with your Medicare supplement planning. Check us out at the website of MedicareForTheLazyMan.com. We would also appreciate it if you would find a way to give us a review on the podcast and the books. They mean everything to us because in the world of podcasting and authoring, numbers are very important. So anyway, last but not least, I want to thank you for joining us. You could have been a number of different places and you weren't. You were with us listening to Medicare for the Lazy Man podcast. And if you weren't, Checking your watch, you have just spent about 32 and a half minutes with Doug Jones, the anti-insurance insurance guy originally from Oklahoma, no more. He's camped out up in the high ground behind Cave Creek, Arizona, some days with his binoculars, other days with an oxygen tent. Today, I'm going to put him in in his Fortress of Solitude at about 5,900 feet. Don't even need the oxygen tent this time. Thank you so much, Randy. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us. We'll be looking for you next time around. Bye-bye.